this should feel as if the future of the state, and especially depending on your position on abortion and abortion rights, like the future of, of people's freedom and, and such, is, is at stake. Welcome to Bridge the City, a podcast recorded in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Our mission is to bridge together people, resources, and ideas that inspire Milwaukee to action. I'm Benjamin Rangel, and I'm here today with a very special guest, our Director of Strategic Partnerships and guest producer today, Ashley Benson. Ashley, welcome back to the podcast. Hello, everyone. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me, Ben. Yeah, I mean, you've been part of Bridge the City since pretty much its inception, uh, but we don't often get to hear your lovely voice on the episode, so this is such a treat. Part of the reason, I should say, for our listeners, just so you're aware, is that our, our team has kind of shrunk a little bit, uh, right? One of our producers, Ben H., who is the other Ben that you might have heard from in the past, um, the other Ben and his wife um, just had a baby, which is really ex- exciting. Very exciting. Yeah, so we're really excited for him. And one great thing about working with Bridges City is that we have unlimited paternity leave right if you have a kid here you can just leave and never come back if you don't want to uh or benefits ever yeah exactly uh and that's the the beauty of a volunteer (laughs) a volunteer organization like bridge the city um well today the reason why we have ashley on is because today we're going to have a conversation about a really really important topic not that all of our topics aren't important here at bridge the city but this one in particular something you've probably been hearing a lot about which is the upcoming spring general election and so we both got assigned to do some research on the different candidates and we're going to discuss what we think you need to know about the upcoming election um but before we jump into specifics about the candidates ash can you tell the listeners what are some of like the basics about this election that people need to know? Absolutely. So first and foremost, when is the election? I don't know if you can believe it, but April is right around the corner. So it is actually Tuesday, April 4th. Polls are open in Milwaukee from 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. And actually already we are in the middle of early voting options. So In-person early voting began Tuesday, March 21st, and it will go all the way through Saturday, April 1st. So you still have time from the moment this comes out till um, the 1st in case you need to get in that early voting option, which is a great opportunity that we have still in Milwaukee. Uh, It is important to note, though, that there is no drop-off ballot locations for this election, so that may be different than the last couple years. Uh, And then also, I'm not going to go through the list right now, but there are seven in-person early voting locations, and they all have different hours of operation. So make sure to go to our favorite website when it comes to elections, myvote.we.gov. That is M-Y-V-O-T-E dot W-I dot G-O-V before heading out to vote. Yeah, I feel like that is literally our favorite uh, website. We've mentioned that more than our own BridgesCityPodcast.com, I feel like. Which, by the way, if you're listening to this and you haven't checked out our beautiful website, you can go to BridgesCityPodcast.com. And also, of course, follow us and support us. You can also become a patron, right? At just $4.14. If you care about elections and democracy, uh, why not become a patron and support us at Patreon.com slash BridgeTheCity. Um, that wasn't in the script, but why not? Why not plug the Patreon when we can, right, Ash? Always, always want to plug the Patreon. Um, all right. So visit myvote.wi.gov if you're looking for more information about the elections always. Um, take a look at your local. Like if you don't live in the city of Milwaukee, the early voting sites and locations might be a little bit different. So make sure you check out your own election commission information. And if you need to early vote, you can do that. Uh, I encourage you to make a voting plan, right? I was just talking to a coworker, Ash, and she was like, oh, Ben, I'm so happy that you put this announcement on our whiteboard at our work, reminding folks to vote early because she remembered she was going to actually be out of town that Tuesday of the election. So she voted early and she didn't even think about having to do so until she got that reminder. So look at you. And I, I have also heard that maybe in the mail, people have gotten a little reminder from you. About true, true. voting. 
<laughs> I, I might be on some postcards running around uh, Milwaukee right now. You might see my face in some postcards encouraging people to vote. You know, at Bridget City, we're all about action. And so I'm, I'm getting involved myself here, encouraging people Absolutely. to to vote. Um, great. Well, with that, let's jump into the candidates. Uh, sometimes on Bridget City, we have conversations with the actual candidates. You might have listened to our election special with Everett Mitchell, who was a, a candidate in the primary back in February. Uh, but oftentimes when it comes to a general election like this, there are so many candidates and so much information that it's hard to have, you know, a dozen or so interviews with each of the candidates. And so we like to do these election previews where we sort of just talk about uh, the, like, the the candidates ourselves. I think we can do that now, right, Ash? Yes, let's do it. So this is a really big election. And I think folks, sometimes one of the things that we, we love to talk about here on Bridge the City is voting local and how this is a great opportunity. These springtime elections, these statewide elections are some of the most impactful uh, elections that we have to date. And this is one of them. This is a big election that's coming up. And I don't know about like, I don't know about you. I mean, yes, Ben, you are on postcards and you're getting out the vote. But quite frankly, I was not prepared for how big of election this was. And so I'm really mm -hmm. excited to be here. And one of the the big seats on the table is the state Supreme Court. So yeah, ben, I mean, I know you've been talking about this in class, you are passionate about state Supreme Court. We've actually had a few past candidates on the pod. but And who, current justices. Yeah. Some yeah. of the past past candidates are now currently serving on the state Supreme Court, of course. Yeah. Which is really exciting. So can you tell us though, just freshen our memory of like, why, why do we care about the state Supreme Court and what are the stakes and, and who are the candidates? Yeah. Well, the stakes couldn't be higher. And I know that might sound redundant and you're probably seeing and hearing that everywhere. And if you haven't heard that, you're hearing it now. And it's true. Uh, I would actually say, Ashley, that this might be, from my perspective, having you know worked in politics and government and thinking about this stuff a lot, I think this is actually one of the most important elections of my lifetime, more important than any of the past presidential elections. And I know that sounds absurd given the stakes, but the reason is because of um, the, the current status of the court. So for those who aren't familiar, the state Supreme Court functions similarly to the federal U.S. Supreme Court, but here at the state level. And so you have justices on the court. They don't serve for life, like at the national level, but they do have 10-year terms. And these justices determine the constitutionality of laws here at the state level. Um, and there are two particular things that the the, the court will likely have to make decision, decisions on in the future. And those two things are what makes the courts or the stakes for this election so important. And the first one is probably the most commonly covered one, which is abortion and abortion rights. Yeah. And so we have Daniel Kelly, the conservative uh, judge, former justice, running against uh, Janet Protasiewicz, who's the liberal candidate. Now, one thing to note is that both candidates don't identify on your ballot. They won't be identified on your ballot as Republican or Democrat. It's a nonpartisan, quote unquote, election, which just means there's no party identification. So you won't see Republican, you won't see Democrat. But it's very, very clear, especially if you've been watching the ads, that both candidates have uh, a certain ideology, a liberal or conservative ideology, despite, you know, uh, folks on the right wanting to um, express that maybe Janet's in this election has been a little bit more outwardly outspoken in terms of her ideology. It's not a secret in terms of Daniel Kelly's ideology, even if he doesn't talk about it as much or doesn't, is not as um, vocal about his positions on some of these more polarizing issues. They both clearly have a certain ideology. And so on the issue of abortion, which is probably the most controversial, the most hotly debated, the, the, the issue that people are most passionate about um, today, I would say, um, on the issue of abortion, the state Supreme Court will likely have to decide whether or not this really, really old, from the 1800s, abortion law that Wisconsin currently has in the books that has banned abortions in the state of Wisconsin, whether or not that that's constitutional, essentially, or legal for that, that law to still be in place. Um, and the state Supreme Court will likely have to make that decision in the coming months after this election. And right now, the current stat uh, status of the court is split. Um, it, it, whoever wins this election on the 4th will shift the court ideologically to make it either majority liberal or majority conservative. And both candidates um, 
either by outwardly stating Janet, for instance, has outwardly stated her support for abortion rights. Daniel Kelly, less vocal. However, he has received uh, a lot of funding from pro-life organizations. So, you know, the assumption is that uh, as a conservative, as somebody who has received funding from pro-life organizations, he will likely side one direction when it comes to the abortion issue. Now, of course, we can't predict exactly what either candidate will do once they're on the court and once they're actual justices. But the idea here is that if Janet wins, abortion will likely uh, be legal, at least for a short amount of time, depending on what the legislature and the governor ends up doing. Uh, if Janet wins and if Daniel Kelly wins, uh, abortion will continue to be illegal, likely. And again, we can't make those predictions. And right? I want to center us on Wisconsin law. I know you mentioned it a little bit, but Wisconsin, after the reversal uh, of Roe v. Wade, it what happened immediately in Wisconsin, we are one of the only states that has an automatic ban on abortion, and it has no exceptions for rape, incest, violent crimes, uh, and that was immediately in place. So this is, if you've noticed around the country, there have been uh, referendums, votes about abortion since the reversal of Roe v. Wade. This is what I'm understanding is one of our first times to have action on that. I know it's been a hot topic in Wisconsin ever since, but this is one of the most monumental times that will impact. Is that existing law going to prevail or will it be, um, will there be an avenue for different discussions and different opportunities? And that's actually going to, to quick preview that is also something that we'll be talking about in a citywide referendum as well. So. Yeah, there's a referendum, something on the ballot related to abortion access, for sure, that Ash is going to talk about in a bit. Um, and, and so that's part of the importance is, I mean, there was a lot there, right? I said a lot. Ten-year terms, the ideological balance of the court, um, and, and really, oftentimes, when there's a state Supreme Court election like this, Ash, it's not super clear in terms of, like, if I vote for X, this is what it will mean for this particular policy, right? Because this, this, the state Supreme Court is is something, an institution that not many Wisconsinites think about often. Um, it doesn't get the same coverage as the national uh, federal Supreme Court, right? And so it's not every election where someone says, oh, this person will likely support X, Y, or Z. And so that's why there's more money coming into this election than any other state Supreme Court election in the history of Wisconsin. And it's become very polarizing and, and partisan in a way that not all state Supreme Court uh, elections are, although they have become increasingly more partisan. Um, but it's for a lot of voters, it's very clear. Like I'm going to like I'm sure many people who might not normally turn out at a spring state Supreme Court election are going to turn out on the issue of abortion alone. Right. Uh, that said, there's another thing at stake here, which is the maps. Oh, <laughs> the, the, map, the, the, the districts. Yeah, the maps. Your you maps. Your the maps. maps. And so, listeners know that at Bridge City, we've talked about the the congressional and legislative maps here in Wisconsin before. We had a whole episode on it. But all I want to say is that the maps could also be at stake here, right? Um, and what I mean by that is. Uh, Wisconsin currently has very similar maps to what we have, what we had since 2010. And when I say maps, I mean the 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 boundaries that have been drawn, in this case by the the legislature, to determine the districts, the congressional districts, state assembly districts, and state senate districts. And currently, the districts that are in place right now were drawn by the Republican-controlled legislature. And they used a criteria called the least change criteria, which essentially looked at the former maps in 2010, which were also drawn, drawn by the Republican-controlled legislature. And they said, we're going to adopt maps that adjust for changes in communities of interest, changes in demographics, changes in other important uh characteristics around boundaries, but we're going to try to change as little as possible. Um, and that's what ended up happening, which means the maps that were in place in 2010, which are widely considered by any measure as being the most politically gerrymandered map maps in the country, 
are still pretty much the maps we have in place. And this is not really a Republican or Democrat issue. This is an issue the whole country faces because Democrats, when they have control of the legislature, they all also gerrymander, right? Jerry, political gerrymandering is, in, in my opinion, always always bad, regardless of the political party. It just so happens that Wisconsin Republicans had control of the map drawing, um, had the pen essentially uh, when they when when we had to redraw the maps after the 2010 census and 2020 census, and what that means, in simple terms, is that. Even though Wisconsin is a purple state, which means there are about as many Republicans as there are Democratic voters in the state of Wisconsin, the legislature, because the way the the boundaries have been drawn, the state legislature, the assembly and the Senate, and in many ways, the congressional districts as well, but especially the Senate and the assembly are uh, over 60 percent Republican, which means there are more there's more Republican representation than there are Republicans in the state of Wisconsin. And this is political gerrymandering. Um, and so what this, where the state Supreme Court comes in here is that uh, the court will likely hear cases around the current maps and the legality and the constitutionality of those maps. And so the court will likely have to make a decision on whether to make adjustments uh, for, for racial equity reasons. There's some claims that the current maps um, disenfranchise communities of color, for instance. They might have to make a decision whether or not this least change method was the correct constitutional method, right? We don't exactly know what decision the court, at least I'm, I'm not aware of what the court might have to decide, but they might make a decision, some decision related to the maps. And at the end of the day, the maps are what maintain a democracy or not. And so the stakes are really, really high when it comes to like just um the democratic institution of, of fair maps and, and a representative democracy and so on and so forth. So that's what's also at stake for the state Supreme Court election. Yeah. And I, I remember that this is actually this case in Wisconsin of gerrymandering has gone all the way up to the federal Supreme Court and both times, maybe a third now at this point, but definitely two times they have put it back into the hands of the state Supreme Court and our legislators. So uh, that also, even if it got back to that point or got to that point, it might be brought back down to our state level. So there's several avenues in which that may come and arise to our state Supreme Court. Yeah, yeah. It just like is going to impact whether or not Wisconsin is legitimately a representative democracy. <laughs> Just Which, like, casual small yeah, thing there. <laughs> yeah. And and I kind of laugh at it because you know, you people we, we show up and we vote and and we elect people and there are Democrats and Republicans in the legislature, but but truly there's no one who can objectively look at the state of Wisconsin and say that the representatives politically are representative of the people of Wisconsin. It's just, it's just objectively not true. And again, it's not a Republican thing necessarily. It just happens to be Republican here in Wisconsin. Democrats do the same thing across the country. And so in my view, I'm not advocating, and I think this is fair. I know we try to uh, remain as nonpartisan as possible on the podcast, but I'm not advocating that the Republicans simply have less power. I'm just advocating for more, uh, democracy more representation representation. yeah i mean that's i think that's something that seems fair advocate for yeah okay good and it's something Uh, that i i would argue does have uh leverage and support on both sides because this could happen you know this goes back to well what if the democrats got in power sometime it would be very difficult with the current mapping in the legislature right but Uh, It is something of interest that if we can figure out how to do fair mapping, that's something that actually protects and promotes both kind of ideology long term. Yeah. Yeah. And and democracy kind of broadly, too. So that's at stake. Yeah. So I know that was a lot, Ash, for the state Supreme Court. Uh, But it should I mean, you should everyone should be uh, really aware of the stakes, I I think. Like, this should feel as if the future of the state, and especially depending on your position on abortion and abortion rights, like the future of of people's freedom and and such, is is at stake. It's a big, big deal, and it can impact the state for the next 10 years plus, right? I mean, these people are going to be there for the next 10 years, but the the ripples of their decisions over the next 10 years kind of transcend that time period and could alter the, the future of the state of Wisconsin for generations to come. 
And before and so, we, oh, yeah, I was just going to say that's all I got for the state Supreme well, Court. I have a quick question. So we have had a couple of state Supreme Court elections the last couple of years, which means that we have newer folks on the bench. Is this one of our, is this, I mean, this is a very important salient one right now, but how many are coming down the line? Like, is this an opportunity that we might not have for a few more years? There will be another state Supreme Court election, you know, in a few years. Yeah. And it all depends on the, um, like, which candidate is up for re-election, whether or not they run for re-election, for instance, um, because the incumbency advantage plays a big, big role here. So, like, oftentimes, if a conservative were to uh, their end of their term were to come up, but they wanted to to run again, they have like this built-in advantage as an incumbent. And so th- the other thing that makes this particular election so important, it's because it's a vacant seat, right? There is no incumbent. And so it's kind of like level playing field in a way. Um, and, and I think to your point, even though there will be future state Supreme Court elections in, in just a few years, because, you know, they're staggered and they happen relatively frequently, the timing of this one is is relevant, right? This abortion, uh, the abortion law that's in the books right now will be decided within the next year, right? The uh, legitimacy and the constitutionality and legality of the maps will be decided in the next year. And so uh, despite there being past elections more recently for state Supreme Court and there will be in future elections, this one really does feel more uh, impactful in terms of like the, the, the future of the state and, and governance in the state. And I think other people would agree with you. And we'll, I can kind of showcase why too, because there is a lot of strategic, there's a lot of strategic effort in place to get turnout for this election, specifically tied to or loosely adjacent to the Supreme Court's seat. So a good example of that is we actually have some referendums on our, on the plate and the referendums that have been put in front of us are a strategic tactic to increase voter turnout. And true. Yeah. Yep. So like I think that that is, you know, what you're saying, there's other signals that showcase that it is a really important case and there are tactics in place that are getting us out to vote mm-hmm. have a decision and to have our I mean to have our voices heard on this. Yeah. And the idea there Ash right is like you might not know exactly why the state supreme court is important. But you can answer this yes or no referendum question, theoretically. And so the idea would be put these referendum questions on the ballot, get people to show up to vote yes or no on those referendums, and then they'll also vote uh, for the particular candidate, perhaps, that is in line with one of the two responses on the referendum. Which, by the way, can we talk about sort of the confusing nature of these questions <laughs> as well and jump into, like, what are some of these specific questions? I saw on Reddit, it was a Reddit post uh, on our Milwaukee that essentially was like, what the hell did these referendum questions mean? Right. And so somebody literally, there's tons of upvotes. So like people are confused a little bit, but, uh, help us make sense of this, Ash. Yeah, absolutely. And so referendums, they are strategically confusing in my mind. I don't know if that's true and backed up science. And so you want to make sure that you're, you're understanding the words that you're reading and what you're voting yes or no to. And this is an interesting one because we're able to see both types of referendums. So you may have remembered in your past elections when you vote for something like a, I'm just going to use the example, we've had a referendum in the past about legalizing marijuana. And then the results were, yeah, Milwaukee is okay with that, but we don't have, that hasn't changed the law, right? So that is one of the types that is called an advisory referendum. That is in place to help lawmakers get a pulse on public opinion. And that's really what the, that's what it does. Yeah. And the way that I would think of it is like kind of a state sponsored poll, Mm. right? Just like you would, uh, you see polls and results of polls all the time from, you know, Marquette law school poll and all that stuff. An advisory referendum is like, Hey, let's see what the people of Wisconsin want. And we can use that to advise our decision-making as the legislature. Yeah, exactly. And we do have that on our ballot. We will also, though, have a binding referendum. And that's the one that we really want to make sure everyone's clear on. I mean, I want you all to be informed no matter what you're saying yes or no to, but we have a binding referendum. And what happens with a binding referendum is that the outcome of this vote 
could result in constitutional changes. And if it doesn't pass, it means that then it goes back to kind of the state legislator. But these binding referendums are a tool that can help lawmakers kind of bypass the state legislation process and go directly to the constitutional change. Yeah. So right now, currently, if you're unfamiliar, we have a Republican-controlled state Senate and Assembly, but a Democratic governor, Tony Evers. And so typically, if the legislature wants to pass a law, they also need to compromise a bit with Democrats in order to get Evers' signature. Uh, They could theoretically override a veto if if Evers doesn't like it, uh, but they don't have uh, a veto-proof majority in the legislature. And so this is one way to like go around that that democratic process that checks and balances and, and sort of just go directly to the people, mm-hmm. which I guess some, to some could be more democratic, right? Having the people decide in a way. But um, you have yeah, to be, what you specifically- have to be clear, though, on what you're yeah. reading, right? Because in, in theory, it is more direct democracy, but if everyone- understands what they're what they're yeah. voting for so that's where you yeah. know we got to be sure that we're we're reading clearly and understanding um what we're voting for so that's what we're going to try to do that here yeah try, try to help me out so we have conditions something about conditions before conviction and i mean i don't even want you to kind of read this whole thing because it could just put, put listeners to sleep or something i don't know well, i'm going to translate for you okay all right translation. so you're gonna i do want to make sure that people know what they're looking at the polls though because there's two statewide referendums but they're split into three questions so the first two have to do with uh convict conviction and release and judicial system first one has to do with release conditions of release so there's going to be specific wording in there. The translation is that this referendum is really about expanding the threshold of serious harm. And so previously, a judge could only prevent somebody from being released before conviction if fear of death is present. This referendum would is looking to expand it to serious harm which serious harm is ambiguous and undefined. So even if this referendum went through, please note that that definition is not available to us right now. That would be something that the lawmakers would go back, they would define, but because they've already gotten the approval of us, they could define it and then just immediately put it into the the Constitution. So let me get this straight. So a judge would have is setting in this scenario, a judge is theoretically setting a condition of release before conviction. So somebody is arrested, accused of a crime before they're convicted. A judge has to determine whether or not they can be released on bail or something like that. Mm -hmm. And typically the way the Constitution currently reads is that if the judge determines uh, releasing this person could lead to death of someone. Mm-hmm. They can choose to keep that person in prison until they're convicted or, or released or found innocent. But now they want to kind of broaden that to allow judges more discretion and include this quote unquote serious harm designation, which is, as you said, vague and ambiguous. Correct. And so if you're voting yes for this one, you are voting for the expansion of that definition, whatever it ends up being. So there is a, you are, if you're voting yes for that, you are empowering judges to have a larger definition of and criteria in which they determine if someone can or should be released before conviction. Which would theoretically make it easier for people to stay in prison or jail before their conviction if the judge deems they could cause serious harm to people. Okay, great. Yep. So that's good. So that's, I got it. Okay. You, you, you helped good. me. Okay, so that's good. Thank and you. And then the next one also has- Oh, there's more. There is, oh, no. That's just question one. Okay. Question two on this one is about cash bail. So this one is talking about if someone has been convicted of of a crime and they are, they are needing or setting a cash bail, what can they determine to set that cash bail? Right now, it is narrowly focused on if they are a flight risk, which means that they would not show up to a court date or um, 
you know, like whatever reason. So that's how you're determining what your cash bail is. If you vote yes for this, you would give a judge the right to set their cash bail at higher thresholds. And this one would be there. This has been talked about as uh, potentially keeping Wisconsinites safer because it would make it more difficult for someone to post bail. So that's what the proponents are saying. And that's why if you would, you would vote yes. Um, voting no would keep it in the current judicial capabilities and which would just look at that flight risk. And they would be talking about like the severity of the crime whenever determining bail. And they are one referendum split into two different questions. And why that's important is they are under the same umbrella, okay? They're under the same umbrella of conviction and um, the ways in which you could get released in between being arrested and convicted for a crime. And they are separated into two, though, because say someone says yes to expanding what serious harm means, but no to the cash bail. That gives the lawmakers a little bit of room. And the big kind of proponents arguments like one, people are arguing this would keep Wisconsin safe in theory. It would not, um, it would allow more difficult opportunities for somebody to be released and have the opportunity to do a, the crime again. Uh, the opponents to these referendums arguing that this law would disproportionately impact poor communities with less access to maybe funding bail um, and could lead to increased incar incarceration for community of color. So um, those are kind of the broad strokes of those the, that referendum. Yeah. Um, thanks, Ash. That That is uh, really helpful because the way they're written right now is very like legalese, right? Because it's like shall section 8.2 of article 1 of the Constitution be amended, right? And to your point, even after these referendums fail or pass, if they're passed, the legislature still has to go back and sort of clarify and, and like rewrite the specific wording of the Constitution, right? So there would still be some like legislative mm -hmm. input here. Okay. Um, but you could theoretically be like, yeah, I want the judges to have more discretion on de deciding like serious potential for someone to cause serious harm, but I don't necessarily want them want them to impose higher bail so I can go like a yes, no type of thing. Yeah. Yep. Um, but yep. generally, I, I think if I were to like sum, sum up, it feels, uh, and we should note that I think these two, correct me if I'm wrong, were, were uh, added by Republican legislators, right? They were. Yeah. So uh, this seems to be the proponents, the yes side, I suppose, seem to likely fall in line to those voters or constituents or politicians who have been running on these like law and order campaigns and, and emphasizing the lack of safety in the community and wanting to be tougher on crime. That's kind of the yes yeah. side, those who are tough on crime. Um, and the no folks might be those folks who are kind of maybe approaching crime through a holistic lens mm -hmm. and seeing that oftentimes the criminal justice system uh, even when it tries to be tough on crime, actually ends up disadvantaging the marginalized, right? That's kind of the no side. Yeah. Is that fair? I think that's a really good recap and representation if you're distilling it down to those, like, because you do only have, you have a binary. and you Yeah, it's have, either yes or no, nothing in between. At. So yeah, so it is um, separated into two questions. So there may be different responses um, depending, but they are under the same umbrella and both of those questions are binding which means that the uh, just to reiterate the result of this could have a direct impact on the constitution and the law so also really important to consider that because if you maybe you don't know or you don't have you need to know more uh, it is important for you to recognize that with this vote there could be an immediate impact Great. And so those are the two binding referenda. Uh, there's also an advisory advisory referendum around welfare. Tell me about there that one. It is. Okay. So this one is very interesting because it basically, it right now, in order to get welfare or social net protections and benefits in Wisconsin, if you are able-bodied, if you are able to work, there are working requirements. And so this, this question, though, is um, advisory, so it's still looking at the public opinion side. 
but it is just asking, and I am going to read this one because it's not as legalese, but it is just straightforward asking, shall able-bodied childless adults be required to look for work in order to receive taxpayer-funded welfare benefits? So that is yes, which is already a requirement. So it would be a yes would be a requirement for work. A no uh, would just inform that you do not necessarily think that those requirements need to exist in order to receive a benefit. This is existing already, and this is something that is just to get a pulse on the public opinion of whether or not the state and it vote, its voters believe that there should be certain requirements. But if you vote no, it's not ask, it's not telling you or asking you what alternatives there would be. Uh, all right. So that one's advisory. And then there's last advisory referendum here uh, from the county, this does which has the to county do. Level, though. So okay. Okay. So not the state, just yeah. the county. So okay, this is tell me about only it. if you live in Milwaukee County. So yeah. So if you are in Madison, this may not be for you, but if you are a Milwaukee County resident, this is going to be on your ballot. And this is uh, going back to what we were talking about earlier with abortion. This is uh, specifically about the abortion law that's in place. And getting a kind of state-sponsored poll, like we've talked about, an advisory and informed understanding of where the public stands on this. So this is specifically about the Wisconsin statute, about statute, excuse me, about banning abortion. And it is asking if it should be repealed. So that is important whenever you're reading something because it, you know, the other ones, if you voted yes, they were upkeeping the law, the existing law, but this one is specifically asking if it should be overturned. So a vote yes for this would indicate a public desire to reverse the state's constitutional ban on abortion, and a no vote would affirm the existing ban in place. So just keep your mind on that, and that's where this reading, these readings get important because you may have had three in a row that were asking you to keep something. And then now this one is asking you if you would want to reverse it. So that is something to note and consider when you're looking at your ballot. Yeah. And Ash, um, I want to encourage voters. It's okay to take a little cheat sheet in the, in the polling booth with you, right? Like I had a student, I, I work at a high school. And so there are students who are first time voters. And one student said to me that they forgot who they were, who they wanted to vote for. They're like, they had somebody in mind. And when they voted in February, they're like, I forgot. And I, I couldn't look at my phone. I couldn't look it up. I was like, wait, why couldn't you? Right. And, and so uh, for some voters, it feels like, oh, this is almost like a test. I'm in there. I'm, I'm like, uh, there's this like, I'm in a booth so nobody can see what I'm, what I'm doing. I'm filling in bubbles just like I did in high school when I t took tests. Mm. Folks, this is not a test. It's not, you can't pass or fail. Uh, and so I encourage you to quote unquote cheat, right? When, what, I'm, what I mean by that is not voter fraud, but to um, bring in a little note, put it in your phone or whatever, and uh, tell, remind yourself what you'd studied and what you were going to vote for, right? Like, are you yes, yes, no? Are you no, no, yes? And then who are the candidates you want to support? So you don't get in there, panic, and then just like take a blind 50-50 guess, right? Your vote is your voice. You should be informed of the decisions you make. And going off that, you can... Take as long as you want. There's no one timing you. So I've had a friend, a uh, listener of the pod, who he, he does his research like right before, while he's in line and then continues it while he's doing it. And he just makes sure and he double checks because maybe he doesn't have a writing down system yet. But that is something that, you know, I, I was wondering, I was like, why are you taking 20 minutes? And he's like, I'm just making sure that I'm getting what I want in there and making sure that that is the the person i'm choosing which there's nothing wrong with that we want you to be exactly informed. exactly okay so oh my gosh ash we've been talking for a little bit this has been a long episode already maybe we can quickly talk about some of the other uh candidates who might be on people's ballots and i want to i want to make sure people know that there's a ton on your ballot but a bunch of them are just like single candidates no one running against them which you know is we can talk about that being another problem for our democracy and the lack of competition and blah 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 but different time different pod right now i would love to hear about uh, just briefly the two at large milwaukee public school board seats because i know there are a few other districts and so we're going to encourage people to learn more about their their own local mps board seat 
candidates, correct, Ash? But you want to talk briefly about the um, at-large, which the entire city is voting between these two people, Jeff Spence and Missy Zambor? Yes, exactly. So if you are really quickly before going to that, if you're in uh, District 2 or District 8, you have an incumbent. And if you're in District 1 or District 3, you do have a race at your hands. So make sure you do your own research. Or if you want, you can reach out to us on any of our social media platforms and we can chat with you a bit more offline. But for the at-large seat, so that is as a whole, this is really, this isn't bound to a specific district. This is something that represents the entire city. So as an at-large seat, we've got two candidates. We've got Jeff Spence. He actually served on the board. He was a district two board member from 1999 all the way to 2015. So he has had experience on the board. I'm just going to give you a couple of information pieces about him. He's currently a senior fellow and officer of DEI. That's diversity, equity, and inclusion at the Milwaukee Metropolitan Sewerage Company, or district, excuse me, MMSD. Uh, He's really, his kind of main points and perspectives are he is in favor of universal school choice. And the big thing to note about that is that would allow taxpayer dollars to fund private schools. So he is um, a supporter of school choice and having no limitations on that choice. He's also um, interested in having board expansion that would include the mayor and county executive. Why is that important? That's a quick note that other cities actually do have their school systems managed by maybe a city manager, a county executive. uh, And that's actually something that has been talked about and discussed uh, over the last few years. And so this is kind of in his mind getting ahead of that by saying, hey, we'll actually bring you in as a seat rather than taking over the entire board. And then finally, uh, one thing that he's been looking at, and both candidates are looking at how to improve kind of uh, how we get funding for NPS. And his one of his options is that consolidation of schools to provide kind of a temporary boost in funding while also reallocating funds that are being currently utilized in in buildings that aren't at their maximum capacity. All right. Okay. So Jeff Spence, uh, I know a lot more than I did before, so I appreciate that. Um, You know, not to simplify things, but oftentimes in Milwaukee politics, especially, especially around the Milwaukee Public School Board and school conversations in general, uh, there's this dichotomy around like, you know, pro uh, school choice and then pro public school. Mm-hmm. Um, I imagine Jeff Spence is like not anti public school necessarily, but it seems like he is pretty supportive of the pro cho- pro uh, school choice movement. Mm-hmm. What about Missy Zambor? Is she sort of the opposite there? I would say, I mean, I'm not her main points aren't exact opposites, but you would consider them as having very different points of view. So very concrete passions. And one of them is really focused on teachers. So she's really focusing on, we have a teacher crisis. Yes, we have it across the country, but a lot in Milwaukee as well. Really looking at ways to pay them well and treat them with respect to stop the brain drain that we're having from uh, the resources in MPS in particular, which Ben, you're a teacher. You know how how intense that job is, and she's really, um, really looking at the angle from a teacher perspective to really help the students and the entire community have strong education. So that's one of her pillars. Also, really looking at free and nutritious meals. So she's looking at if we're we gotta have sh- strong teachers that are in our schools, but also we have we need fuel students at a young age and developing kids and especially let's say like i mean at all ages kids need food right and so with a with a district that is almost all on free and reduced lunch it's imperative that schools are fueling the students adequately and then going off of that uh really looking at this equitable education for students of color and students with disabilities, thinking about things like investing resources in child psychologists, reducing classroom sizes uh, that would benefit both teachers and the students. So really looking at views in a different kind of a a lens in that way. Great. And then who does Missy have support uh, from? Uh, Yeah, she's endorsed by a lot of friends of the pod. So she's got endorsements from Block, 
Working Families Party. She's a Democratic Socialist of America member. She is also receiving support from the teachers union. The list goes on. Um, she's also currently the director of marketing for Rethinking Schools, which is an education publishing company that really focuses on and advocates for these complex issues in the education system and kind of looking at them in different views. Who I think the outgoing at-large member, Bob Peterson, might have had a connection with Rethinking Schools yep. too. And so He's also endorsing her and has been okay. a, a lead supporter. And then... Uh, yeah, just in that vein, Jeff Spence has um, – he's also getting some some big names that have endorsement as well. So this is actually going to be a yeah an uh, interesting race for, for this at-large seat. Yeah, it looks like uh, people like Dr. Howard Fuller, who's been on the podcast before, Chris Abley, I think, has been on before as well, have, have thrown their support behind Jeff Spence. Okay, so uh, uh, contested race there for the at-large seat. Milwaukee Public School, just as a reminder for listening, this, even if you don't have students there, even if you're not affiliated with it, even if you're like me and you teach at a private school, right? It doesn't matter. The The young people MPS serves are the people who will make up our city and currently are the young people who make up our city and, and they matter and their education matters. And so who are the people leading the school board absolutely matters. Um, and so vote for the school board and and do your research between Jeff Spence and Missy Zombar. All right, Ash. Okay. We're almost through. I mean, this is an action packed um, (laughs) episode and election. And so we covered the state Supreme court. We covered the MPS school board. We covered the referendums. The last thing I think on our list here are some of these judicial uh, contests. Um, There's two, the Wisconsin court of appeals district one and the Milwaukee municipal judge branch number two, where there is a contested election. Can I tell you a little bit about those? Please do. I don't know anything about these ones. So <laughs> okay. Well, hear from you. yes. Uh, uh, so, you know, after all of this conversation about all these really, really important elections, it's easy to lose sight of these smaller ones. So we have the, um, we have the court of appeals I'll start out with. And so this is district one court of appeals. The court of appeals, remember, is the court where like, if you are, uh, if you're upset or you're not happy with a decision a lower court makes, you can appeal that decision and it goes to the Court of Appeals. And so you have two candidates running in that election. And I'll just be brief here. Encourage folks to do their own research. Uh, you have Judge William Brash and labor and employment lawyer Sarah uh, Jeanin, I want to say is how her name is pronounced. And so apologies if I'm getting that um, getting that wrong. Um, Brash uh, emphasizes his experience as a judge. Meanwhile, Greenan hasn't necessarily been a judge, but she's been practicing law for 16 years as a labor and employment attorney, and she feels like she's going to bring a, a, a fresh perspective. Brash has been criticized for holding a fundraiser with the Bradley Foundation, which typically supports more conservative causes. Brash seems to be maybe more conservative and ideologically speaking, although it's a nonpartisan race, right? Um, Brash, however, does objectively have more experience, has actually served um, as a judge. Seems like there's a trend here where there's sort of a conservative and a liberal at the state level. And now we have uh, Brash, who's been accused of being a bit more conservative than than Geenan here um, at the Court of Appeals. And then any questions there, Ash? Feeling good? No, I'm feeling good. I... uh... I think that that's been interesting because actually both of them have knocked on my door and I I haven't learned much of them even whenever they're at my door. So I'm glad you were able to at least give us a little bit of a glimpse of that and so that I can go in understanding a little bit more of their perspective. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? I think sometimes voters are hesitant to take shortcuts around ideology. Like they're like, oh, I want to know the candidate. Like I really want to know and make an informed decision. 100% value that love that but the reality is that we have a limited means of inf- of gaining information of knowing what's what of knowing people's background and experience and so these shortcuts these heuristics as political science say they're not necessarily terrible because if somebody is ideologically similar to you then their values are probably similar the, the decisions they make are probably in line with you and so i would encourage voters not to be super discouraged by taking um, ideological shortcuts in your decision making. Although obviously, I, I want people to be as informed as possible. Okay, so with that, let's go to Milwaukee Municipal Court Branch Number Two. We have Molly Gina G E N A, who is facing Lena Taylor. 
who Lena Taylor's name might sound familiar for Milwaukeeans because she currently serves in the state legislature. Uh, and so, Ashley, you asked an interesting question. Yeah. You're like, oh, would she like, can she do both? Right. Yeah. Yeah. What happens there? Yeah, I, I remember and I do know that the state legislature is technically a part time position. So I don't know if I haven't been able to find whether or not Lena Taylor would would continue to serve as both legislator from Milwaukee and the municipal judge, um, although it seems as if she theoretically could. But I guess we'll see if she yeah. wins, uh, you know. Uh, so that's, again, two candidates, Molly, Gina, who. um uh, let me, uh, yeah, let me just share from the Wisconsin Law Journal um, an article by a reporter, Steve Schuster, reported on the race here. There's not a ton out there, unfortunately, about the, the municipal judge. Uh, both Gina and Taylor are proponents of community service and court accessibility. Gina says access to justice is incredibly important. And Taylor said we need to make the courts more accessible to the people. Gina has said some people don't realize that the court can order community service. Um, and as a defense attorney, she asks that frequently. It's uh, very effective and reduces fines. Uh, Taylor agrees. Uh, and so it seems like ideologically, actually, these two might be relatively similar. And I hope some of our listeners might reach out and criticize and be like, yeah, actually, they're very, very different. So feel free to comment and share if you know something uh, that we don't, uh, because, of course, we're not all knowledgeable either. Uh, there was so much to talk about for this election, Ash. I would, there was. I hope that hope you're all with us uh, and that you learned about the importance of this election. If anything, this just showcases how important this is, and that these are this is a lot of information that you know. If you you might not even show up, you might show up and not have the information. So, if anything, I hope you learned something new along the way. I love that. And I, and Ashley, I'm really happy that you were able to join me. This is so fun having <laughs> having you on. I know. It's been a while. Um, well, thank you so much for listening to Bridge the City. As always, you can reach out and let us know um, what we can do differently. If you want to get involved, let us know. You can visit our website at bridgescity.com. Sorry, bridgescitypodcast.com. Uh, visit us on social media, Instagram, Twitter, all that good stuff. Um, Patreon. Uh, patreon.com slash bridge the city you can support our mission and our goal for as little as four dollars and 14 cents a month that's less than a cup of coffee by far at this point with the inflation we've been experiencing so just four dollars and 14 cents 414 you can support bridge the city and our mission here as patrons and as always reach out and let us know how you have helped bridge, bridge the city, city. Bridge the city. <laughs> i think we got it